You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Welcome to church this weekend. So glad you are. And just the theology of church itself is astounding and wonderful. Week number six in our series, this foundational series, very important series. The Bible is one book. We're in the the, the sixth message, message, but the fifth P of our series, again, which has been on stage the entire series, and Lord willing, will remain that way throughout the series. We're looking at the prophesied kingdom, okay? Prophesied kingdom. Now, as we get into this week, week, week number six, some of us, it's a good time to be reminded, why are we doing this? Why are we in this series? Well, in week number one, we learned this. We learned the single greatest attribute to someone growing in Christ, okay? you got to listen carefully. The single greatest thing God uses for someone to be mature and growing in maturity in Christ is authentic engagement with the Bible, okay? So you can be a Pharisee, and you can have a ton of knowledge and not grow in Christ, but don't let those who abuse the truth of God's Word take away from the glory and the beauty of God's Word. Simply put, without God's Word, understanding it, we cannot grow into Jesus Christ, okay? So this, this is why the Bible is everything. Uh, we need this. That is why as a church then that we are understanding um, that we want to be on the E100 Bible reading plan together. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of us have picked up the reading plan today. You can still jump in if you want to. In my discipleship group right now, we're in the area of judges and moving on. It's been so good and so helpful and so beautiful. You can pick that up at the connections desk and go online, download it, jump in. Get on the Bible reading plan that so many of us are on together as a church. It's like the top 100 sections of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. That's why we're reading together a Von Roberts' book, God's Big Picture, where this series, this outline is taken from. And uh, I think 700 and 1,000 of those books have been sold through our bookstore here. Uh, praise the Lord for that, not to mention those on Amazon or whatever. So many of us are doing that. Because listen, if we're going to do this, if we're going to take the time, if we're going to go through this, let's, let's learn. Like, let's just not sit here and go through the motions. Let's, let's take advantage and let's be blessed in that, okay? So we're in this series. We want to learn. We want to we replicate. We want to, again, absorb all that we can. So we're the reading plan and the book. And that's also then why as a church we also do uh, pop quizzes. That's right. It's time for a pop quiz. We're going to be... Really quick. So if you want to take your survey notes out, you can write down the numbers one through three. I really want you to do this, all right? Come on, come on, let's do it, come on. You're like, oh, we're in school today? Well, kind of, kind of, but fun school, I pray. God's school, how about that? Questions one through three, really quick, okay? These should be easy for the most part. Question number one, if you're a visitor, you get a pass for now, for now, all right? Question number one, in Von Roberts' book, he has a definition for God's kingdom. What is it, okay? What is the kingdom of God? This definition has been given every single message so far in this series on the screen like every time okay what is the definition of God's kingdom question number two you still need time no cheating by the way no cheating okay papers out as always we'll take it up when we're done all right see how we're doing question number two within the perished kingdom contains the first hint of the gospel it is called the proto-evangelion where do you find that proto-evangelion, the first hint of the gospel in the Bible. Where do you find it? By Here's a hint, okay? If you know it's in the parish kingdom, then behind me, and by the way, I'm trying to ask questions that aren't revealed on the stage, okay? But in the parish kingdom, you can find out what chapter is in the parish kingdom, so now you got to figure out what verse is it, all right? 
All right? A little bit astute. You're kind of picking up what I'm putting down. Question number three, then, is this. The promised kingdom is revealed to what man? And the partial kingdom is climaxed through what king? Like at, the, at the pinnacle of the partial kingdom, at the, at the best point, uh, it's climaxed through what king? Okay? Oh, and there's a bonus question, just for keeners. The bonus question is this. Fill in the blank. This series is not only about information, but must result in blank. And a hint of the word rhymes with information. All right? This series, we're not just going for information. Uh, we are deeply desiring to be men and women who are experiencing this blank. Okay? Let's take it up real quick. Question number one. Uh, the kingdom of God defined by Von Roberts in his book is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Okay? Not bad. A few people over here seem like they were getting it. Not sure about the section over there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay, question number two. So it's God's people in God's place under God's rule and God's blessing each week. Question number two, okay? Where do you find the Proto-Evangelion, which is literally first gospel? Where do you find that the first hint of the gospel in the scriptures, in the parish kingdom? It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse Yes, someone over there. Excellent. 15, Genesis 3, verse 15. Got to know that. Turn to your Bible. You say, hey, man, check it out. Here's where it is. Remember that. You put it in your Bible. It's there. Every time you turn there, you're like, hey, the Proto-Evangelion, right? Not to sound smart, but to be blessed by that in the first gospel. Uh, question number three. The promised kingdom is revealed to who? Technically, Abram. Right, right, but Abraham also counts, all right? We're a, we're, we're a church of grace, okay, okay? Technically, Abram, Abram's name was changed to Abraham, okay? But yes, and the partial kingdom was climaxed through King Solomon. Solomon, ah, so close, but no cigar, right? Yes, David, yes, but then Solomon, he experienced the, the temple, and the, we're gonna see all that today, all right? And the bonus question is, this series is not only, how many people said David? That was amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> Won't forget that now. And then finally, this series, we're not just about information. We're not about Bible heads. We want to be people who experience transformation. Yes, loved ones, remember, if we really get all this, you're not walking around going, hey, you know what I know? I got some eight peas I can give to you. We're not, we're not going for that, man. We are going for men and women. When you really understand this as the Bible is one book and one story, it doesn't elevate you, man, it lowers you. You're like, I can't believe that this God loves me. I can't believe that he saw me eternity past, eternity future, and I'm now saved in Christ. Like, it literally, if you're getting this, you're not filled with pride. You're, you're, you're humbled. You're like, wow, my God is so awesome. How is it that I could be called, a, okay? So that's one of the tests of that this is really working, okay? You're not walking around impressing people with your knowledge. You're walking around saying, man, my God is awesome. And, 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 and I belong to him, I can't believe it. That's the goal of this series. So let's just recap where we've been so far. And by the way, here's what I know, okay? There's a lot of content today. We got Ezra through Malachi, and I'm, we can't do all of it. And at some points, you will be overwhelmed, okay? Especially those of us who this is our first lap around the track. Again, just be patient. Take a deep spiritual breath. I do pray, though, in Jesus' name. We'll be sitting up straight, you know, taking good notes. And just the, the Holy Spirit. Some of you worked on night shift. You want to fall asleep right now. Um, I'm praying for some young people. This will be the first time you've actually listened to some of the message maybe before. Just praying there'll just be the Holy Spirit help us understand, okay? Because only he can do that. I certainly can't. The pattern of the kingdom, okay, is Genesis 1 and 2. That is saying this is how the world was meant to be. 
God has established by his design the pattern, okay? Sin wrecked it. That's the parish kingdom. Genesis 3 only takes that long. Sin enters in and everything starts to fall apart, okay? We are cursed because of sin. That explains a lot, okay? But from there, God says, well, I'm not done. You guys messed it up, but I'm now going to, I'm going to, Give my plan and my promise to restore my people to myself back to the Edenic form of what it was meant to be. So the promise is given through Abraham, Abraham, okay? And things start to get better, okay? So we see from the promised kingdom, Genesis 12, then the partial kingdom of the Exodus, God's people from Egypt. We see the laws given again through Moses. We see the conquest through Joshua, right? We see the monarchy and the kings of Saul, but then David and then Solomon, good, 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 okay? And we see it starts going well, but then the problem is, if it's up to man and humans, humans will always fail. We'll get to that in a second, okay? So the partial kingdom only goes so far, and then they fall apart, okay? But from here, God says, yeah, you can't do it, so I'm going to. And that was his plan all along. His plan all along, he's going to fulfill his promises through his son, Jesus Christ. And we come today then, as, as the nation of Israel falls apart, God says, I'm going to send my perfect son to fulfill all that you could not. I will send my son as the lamb of God, as the one who will be able to fulfill the law, as the light of the world, as the bread of life, as the living water, as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords, as the great I am, as the son of God, Jesus Christ. They are prophesying, he's prophesying through his prophets, major and minor prophets, of the, of the Messiah who will come and will save us from our sins and truly be our Savior. So that's where we go today, to look at these prophecies in part of what God gave, uh, detailing his son and about his son, Jesus Christ. So today we're going to have, we're going to first have bad news, and then we're going to have good news, okay? So God help us, make us good students. Point number one is this, okay? We're going to see this. A kingdom failed, uh, resulting in judgment. A kingdom failed, um, judgment, okay? Don't want to spend a ton of time in this. I have to spend some time. It's that important. The reason it's called the partial kingdom last week is because in the end it failed. Why did the partial kingdom fail? Because humans always fail, right? And why do humans always fail? The Bible tells us, Romans 3 verse 23, okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look right here, look right here, okay? So on our kingdom chart, right? Um, for all have sinned, right? So, so there's, there's good for a while, but they fall short of the glory of God. Uh, God's up here, Christ is up here. All have sinned, they, and they fall short. They can't get to Christ on their own, okay? They can't make it, all have sinned. Uh, Psalm 14, humans are corrupt. That's what it says. They do abominable deeds. Um, there is none who does good. So make sure you know this, okay? This is very, very important. Pay attention, pay attention. Sin will not get into the kingdom of God. Not one sin will enter into heaven, okay? Uh, I had a young lady just come up after a last service. Bless her heart, she's so sweet. She says, I go to a Catholic school. My teacher was teaching in religion, religion class recently. He's telling the students that if you do good deeds, you will get into heaven, okay? That is not true. Uh, he's sending people to hell, whether he knows it or not. Okay, if you think you can be a good person and get into heaven by what you do, you will never be good enough because one sin kicks you out. One sin, one sin, one. Not to mention the thousands and thousands that we commit every day or week. Okay, 
The Bible says, again, nothing unclean. If you're here right now and you think that by your works you get in, you are not believing the Bible. The Bible teaches it's by grace, God's gift, through faith. Only Jesus Christ can get us in. Only his righteousness, not ours, ever. No one is righteous, no, not one. Okay? Not one sin gets into the kingdom. I mean, who's that for even right now? Okay? This is why we need someone greater than ourselves. We look across this world right now, the evidence of the human heart and its sinfulness is everywhere. It is astounding. It is depressing. It is so discouraging. It has always been that way in one level or another. Church, we need someone greater than ourselves. His name is Jesus Christ. Okay? This is the whole point, again, of this series, to see God's plan of redemption for us who will believe in his Son and be saved. So if we go to our context here, the kingdom of Israel in the partial kingdom was doing really well. Like there's ups and downs, but you get to David and Solomon. Um, under their reign, Israel had never been more blessed in terms of peace, in terms of security, in terms of wisdom, in terms of wealth. They were the envy of the nations. They were the world's superpower, especially under David and then Solomon. Good example of this, Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba shows up and she, she the word says, the, her, her breath left her. She was so astounded at the wisdom and wealth that God, she knew it was God, that God had given to King Solomon. She's said unparalleled understanding of how blessed they were, okay? That is the pinnacle of the Old Testament in terms of God's blessing upon Israel as a kind of physical wealth and wisdom of a nation. But we know it would not last. Why? Why would it not last? Again, Romans 3, I've said it already, because no one is righteous, no, not one. And so right after the Queen of Sheba visits, what happens to Solomon? Solomon succumbs to foreign wives. The foreign women come into his life, and they steal his heart away from God. They move him towards false worship. This is what happens to Solomon, and just men, women, everyone, listen. What happened to Solomon was, the, the idolatry of lust and whoring after other idols, they're like evil vines that come and they start to wrap around his heart and they start to squeeze the life out of his heart for Jesus Christ. I mean, God was so clear. He's like, if you, if you do well, you'll be blessed. If you do not do well, you'll be cursed. He's so clear. And Solomon's heart began to go gray and then black and super calloused and hard and just his affections left Christ and went elsewhere. And it was a slow process, but a very thorough process. And in the end, God says, listen, I was so clear with you. If you leave me, if you go after other gods, and even just some of us right now, the reason our affection for Christ is so weak because our hearts have been strangled by pornography and lust. Our hearts have been strangled by worshiping idols of this world. Our hearts have been strangled by the love of money. Our hearts have been strangled by the massive obsession with entertainment. And there's no love left over for God. Our hearts have been strangled by the obsession with being accepted by people around us. Whatever it is, okay? And what God says, listen, if you do this, you'll be cursed. To Solomon. It's like, if you do well, again, you'll be blessing. But if you don't, judgment will come. And that's what happens. Judgment, does, God is gracious to Solomon. Let him, lets him die. But after that, man, we see, we, we see the downfall of Israel. So I'm going to take a few moments now to put up a chart that is found at the back of Von Roberts' book, Okay? What I'm about to present to you, it's hard for me to stress how important this is in understanding the Bible as one book, particularly the Old Testament. For some of you, this will overwhelm you to a great degree right now, okay? Have patience. Take a deep breath, okay? Um, see this as a first step. 
Um, most believers don't understand what I'm about to show you right now. Okay, so we can put it up, okay? And, and mo most Christians don't have this context when approaching the Old Testament. There's a few dates that are immensely important for you to understand that all of the prophesied kingdom fits into. The major prophets, either before, during, or after these events, okay? They all fit into it as a context. You have to know this. You have to understand this. Some of you will say, I've never been taught this. We're changing that today, okay? I know this is, again, this is, this is the first step. But listen, listen. How many hours did you spend this week playing video games? How many hours did you spend watching TV? How many hours did you spend on your smartphone playing these ridiculous 99 cent app games, whatever? How many hours did you spend this week on social media of some kind doing whatever, just wasting your time? How many hours did you spend following the world? I mean, just tell, okay, all that, whatever, whatever. Can't you spend just a little bit of time learning about the book of God because you love God? Like, can't we invest just a little bit of time into growing and studying? The Bible isn't meant to be easy in terms without hard work. The Bible is meant to be, we should search the scriptures and we should be diligent and we have to work at it on some level. It can be understood by all, but it's meant to be approached with a little bit of effort. And God blesses that effort that we would be shown approved, 2 Timothy 2, that we have handled the word of God appropriately, okay? So, let me start to break this down. God help us. This is so important. This is so good. You see, David and his reign, and then Solomon was after David. What happened was, judgment promised, right? If you fail to obey me, judgment comes. Nine, one point, 922 BC, okay? 922 BC is a schism where the nation of Israel divides into two sections, okay? This is like the ultimate church split. It's not good, okay? Jeroboam, Rehoboam, okay? They fighting, there's a civil war that breaks out among God's people. It's tragic. What results is there's a northern kingdom called Israel. In scripture, they take the name Israel, 10 tribes of 12. Then there's a southern kingdom called Judah, two tribes. Okay? This is the major division. And 922 leads up to this the northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. Okay? There are 19 kings. In Israel, in northern, 19, guess how many of the 19 kings are classified as good, according to God, of the 19? Guess how many? Zero. Zero of 19 are following the ways of the Lord. It is a total train wreck. Every single one of them is horrible, okay? That results 200 years to the day. God says, man, you don't do this. You're going to be judged. I'm going to bring people. You're going to prophecy after prophecy of impending judgment. Sure enough, 200 years after God's patience, the Assyrians are raised up by God's sovereignty, and they come, and they destroy the northern kingdom of Israel, Okay? The kingdom of Judah in the south. See, when you understand this, you start to get some context. For instance, just before I get there, Elijah. Elijah in 1 Kings. Elijah is reigning within the northern kingdom of Israel. Elijah, Mount Carmel, fire down from heaven. King Ahab, boo, boo. Jezebel, more, boo, 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 boo. Okay, this is all happening here. This is all happening in the northern kingdom. Ahab is one of the evil kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. Nothing to do with this at this point. It's before the exile to Assyria, before Assyria comes. That's all happening there. You go up here, Bob, right here, like, oh, I didn't know that. I know. That's why we're teaching it, right? What's happening? So the southern kingdom in Judah, they do a little bit better. They have 20 kings. Guess how many of them were good? Seven, okay? 
Josiah and others, they were good men. They were following the ways of the Lord. But 13 of them out of 20 were terrible. They were evil, okay? So they last a little bit longer, okay? And God's like, listen, if you don't do well, I'm going to send judgment. You're going to see, you're going to be exiled. What happens? The Babylonians are then raised up, right? Babylonians conquer Assyria. The Babylonians are raised up. And the first time they show up is 597. And they take exiles to Babylon as promised. But the main date is here, 586, okay? So if you got two dates, 722, the Assyrians come and conquer northern Israel. 586, the Babylonians come. This is all historical fact. And they conquer the southern kingdom in Judah. And that's devastating because in 586, so much of Scripture speaks to this, Old Testament. Jerusalem is raised to the ground. They are is completely destroyed, and the vast majority, except for a few Jews, are exiled to Babylon, right? So when you start to get this context, Isaiah is writing pre-exile of the southern kingdom. He's there, he speaks to this a little bit, but he's more, ma- mainly speaking to the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. Um, the book of Micah and Jeremiah, these are written to the southern kingdom of Judah. Jeremiah actually ministers right through the exile. He laughs when the Babylonians come and he is there. And he's called the weeping prophet for a reason. He's, he's weeping all the time because like you don't understand. God's coming and ju- you have to repent. Yeah, and, and they don't and judgment comes. Ezekiel ministers his book and that huge kind of major prophet. He's ministering in the very exile itself. He's ministering to the Jewish people in Babylon, in the midst of the exile, right? Then you see books like Haggai, Minor Prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They're all post-exile. The exile is 70 years. The Bible talks a lot about that. And then the Jews start to trickle back. God gives grace. And he, King Cyrus says that they're going to be able to return, okay? And they return. They trickle back to Jerusalem. And Haggai, Malachi, and Zechariah, they're all ministering in that context, So you pick up Malachi right now, that's at the end of the Old Testament, you understand kind of what's happening. You know the context, southern kingdom returning back to Jerusalem. Ezra and Nehemiah, by the way, the Old Testament is not fit chronologically. Okay, Some of it is, but a lot of the the major prophets are the the prophetic books that are the longest. They go together. The minor prophets put together because they're short ones. And that's how they did it, in big and small. And so you have Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and Job, I want to go to heaven in a righteous robe. Anyone else know that Bible rap? My kids heard it so many, it's so helpful, by the way. Like, my kids know the books of the Bible from this rap. It's really helpful, okay? So anyways, Ezra was commissioned in the end of the Old Testament, is where it really fits chronologically, to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah, the whole book, he's commissioned to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So what I'm trying to show you right now, when you get these dates, over half of the Old Testament automatically comes into context. As opposed to, oh, going, I have no idea what's happening. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Again, right, some of you right now, you're like, man, I, I got 1% of what you just said. Okay, I understand that. Okay, but listen, you have the opportunity now to do something about it. Don't wait for Robbie or Craig or Greg to show up against start teaching you. How about you be a student of God's word? How about you put the remote down just for a couple of minutes and how about you take up God's word, you go on Google, you can search amazing resources that are credible in this and you can find out ways to grow immensely. And I'm telling you, if you learn this, it will change the way you read the whole Bible. It will change the way you understand the Old Testament. It will change bit by bit in the context that the, the confusion starts to dissipate and the clarity and the encouragement starts to set in by understanding that there was the, there was the Israel, northern kingdom split, southern kingdom, 722, 586, exile, and pre and post. Okay? It's a lot. I understand. Okay? It's a lot. Especially some of us who have never heard this before. What are you going to do about it?
right? I suggest you learn. I suggest you grow, right? That we might be transformed as we tackle God's word. So, with all the prophetic books in the prophesied kingdom, what you have here is a theme mostly of judgment. God's like, I'm warning you, I'm warning you, I'm warning you. I've told you, I've told you, I've told you, okay? So what happens is you have disobedience. Watch this, watch this. You have disobedience from God's people that leads to disfavor from God, that leads to promised destruction, that leads to total despair, okay? That's really the pattern of what ended up happening. You disobedience, they fail to obey God's word, they find disfavor from God, they, they experience destruction, and then they're in despair. So in, in, when they're in Babylon, and it says they're weeping by the rivers of Babylon because their temple has been destroyed. Everything's been stolen. Everything's been taken. I mean, can you imagine, for the, for the common Jewish person, this is the worst of the worst. That's why. That's why. Because now they're in exile under foreign rulers, and there's nothing worse that they can imagine than that. And they're crying, literally crying out to God, oh God, would you save us in the midst of our own sin? But, okay, within doom and destruction, here's what God does. I love this so much. Within doom and destruction and even despair, God is the God of hope. When we're at our worst is when God shows up and he's like, you think this is done? He's like, no, I'm just getting started. He's like, you think this is all over? No, 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 I'm greater than all this. In fact, I'm sovereign over all this. And I'm going to put hope, I'm going to put hope again into this situation. So I want us to go back to the kingdom chart here for a second. I want you to see this, okay? The covenant given to Moses was conditional. So what do you mean? God said to Moses, if you are... If you do well, if you obey, you will be blessed, okay? Watch, watch, watch. If you do well, you will be blessed, okay? If you sin and disobey, you will, you will be cursed, okay? That's what's happening. The covenant of Moses, you do well, you're blessed, you sin, you're cursed, okay? God's covenant to Abram is an unconditional covenant, unconditional promises, God says, I will bless. I will make you a man responsible for greater, uh, for many nations. I will cause your descendants to be like the sands of the seashore. Okay, so, so grains of sand. So this is what happens. God says, you can't do it. Man, humanity will fail. But I will bless unconditionally. I will continue on and I will bless you because that's the kind of God that I am. So within the destruction and the despair, within all the dismantling, God still is a God of hope. So the kingdom physically falls apart, Israel, okay? But then God carries it on and enter massive prophecies of hope, okay? Point number two now is this then. A kingdom prophesied hope. Hope. And thanks for your patience with, with your Bibles. Let's get our Bibles open now to Isaiah chapter 11, Okay? What we're going to do, I can't go through all the, all the prophets. That would take years, okay? But I'm going to take Isaiah. And we're going to go through Isaiah. And we're going to see all the prophecies of hope that were made pertaining to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And these were done 700 years before Christ was born. 2,700 years before we are here right now. I pray you'll be so encouraged. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. This is the perfect place to start. Look what the imagery, look at the prophecies. Here's what it says. Isaiah 11, 1. There shall come forth a shoot. Oh, and by the way, too, as we, as we turn to these, please, please turn with me. Please, like, do the work. I'm so good. Hear the pages turning. 
Here, see the phones lighting up, whatever it is, okay? It's just so good. If we do this together, let's learn together. That would bless your pastor, and I pray it would bless you as well. Verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Okay, so the imagery here is the tree's been cut down. Uh, that's a bad thing. The tree that, that has been cut down, notice, um, a tree that was once strong. But notice, it's the stump of Jesse. Why is it called the stump of Jesse? It's referring to the, the, the um, uh, house or line of David. Right? So, but see, God has made promises in the Davidic covenant, David's covenant, that David will always have uh, a reign to the throne from David's line. And so things are going really bad here, but God, again, he prophesies, listen, the tree might be cut down, but from this tree, this stump, I love this, will come a shoot, and from the shoot will become a branch, and from this branch will be a kingdom established that will never be shaken. I'm visual. Some of you are visual. Check out this, this, this image right here, okay? So you have a stump that's cut down. This is, this is the stump of Jesse. This is the kind of human physical line here of God's people. Their kingdom falls apart, okay? But God's like, yeah, yeah this, one, this is when I take over, okay? I'm going to send forth a shoot. And look at this little beautiful shoot stemming up from the stump. People look at this shoot, they're like, they will despise the shoot. Um, this shoot will be born in a, in a, in a feeding trough uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a nobody town of Bethlehem to like peasant parents who are teenagers. This shoot will grow up and he will be despised. This shoot will be rejected. He will be mocked. He will be spit upon. This shoot will ultimately be crucified. This shoot will be condemned and, and laughed at. But listen, Make no mistake about it, this shoot will be the king of kings. This shoot is God himself. This shoot will be, again, the king of kings, lord of lords, and the great I am. This shoot will, uh, he will, he will conquer death because he will die for the sins of mankind and he will be raised from the dead because this shoot is the son of God. It is the branch of life. This is the one that, again, has all the prophecies and all, all our desires are fulfilled in this, in this seemingly small little... This is what God does, though, right? He's like, you think this is over? You think this is over? He's like, no, 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 it's not over. We're just getting started, people, right? This is the way God works so often. And right here in this prophecy, it's, it's beautiful, it's perfect. He's like, Israel's been brought to nothing and he's like, and now we start to see the work really begin. And what did we learn here, man? That's a beautiful image because we serve an awesome God. Amen? It's a good spot for an amen. What is our God? Our God is the captain of the comeback, man. He is unparalleled, the unparalleled underdog, okay? And just apply that to your life right now. Just take a moment here. Just pause for a second. Where can you apply the ways of God as opposed to the ways of man to your life? Where have you given up on God? Where have you... Uh, you decided the final chapter has been written already, and you're like, no, nope, never going to happen. And God's like, are you sure about that? Where have you looked at the stump, the tree's been cut down, and you're like, all hope is lost. And you start telling God kind of what he can do and what he can't do, and God's like, well, I don't know, let me time out for a second. I'm pretty powerful. I'm able to do anything I want to, man. Hey, the wind and the waves, they still know my name. You know what I'm saying? I say the word, man, it's done. Where have you and I possibly written off God? And he's just like, you might see a stump, but there's going to come a shoot. And there's going to be a branch. And I, you have no idea what I will do. He's been doing that for 2,000 years. And he continues to do that today. I'm telling you, we are not called to walk by sight. We are called to walk by faith. By faith. Where does that apply to your life right now? We limit God. Listen, the ways of God are not the ways of man. A lot of us would say, man, why has this happened to me? And God's like, I'll show you. If you have faith in me, you will see that I can turn ashes into beauty as we will see here in a little bit as well. All right? 
Our God's the captain of the comeback. I love that. That's why all the, cheers I che- all the teams I cheer for lose, because I like underdogs. It's gospel. It's the gospel. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest comeback ever. Remember, remember Friday? We won, we won. Satan, we won. Saturday, so lonely, so lonely. But then Sunday came. Sunday comes, and all of a sudden, the burst of glory, the greatest comeback in the history of the world. And everyone thought it was over. And look, look at what has resulted from that. So what we do now, we spend the, 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 the last and little bit of our message here. We're going to take a tour through Isaiah. We're going to look at um, beautiful prophecies from the stump that, 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 that speak to the shoot to the branch. And we're going to do that together, and I pray you'll be so blessed. Here's the first one. These will be on the screen in terms of the labels, but I want us to turn together to the scriptures. Isaiah 9, verse 2. Isaiah 9, verse 2, and we're going to see here, prophesied hope, the hope of light. The prophecies of light in the darkness. Okay? I want you to notice here in verse 2, Isaiah 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now notice this. Notice in verse 1, notice the territories of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are two of the tribes of Israel. Why is that important? That's the region of Nazareth. Where did Jesus live? Nazareth. And notice it says there, beyond the Jordan, verse 1, Galilee of the nations. This is the prophecy. You better get ready, this region, not Tally and Zebulun, because they're going to come a light that's going to shine and walk around. And he's going to be the light of the world. Notice, verse 2, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. What a prophecy. Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. Who's this for right now? Who's this for? Who's this for right now? You're walking in darkness. You are banging your head off the worldliness of your own sin and misery. You can't find your way anywhere, man. You're so fed up with the lies that you've been told and the promises that haven't been fulfilled and your whole world's dark. Jesus says to you right now, he says to you in his name, he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Here's the promise, ready? But we'll have the light of life. Who needs the light of life today? If you're honest with yourself, you're in death. You know you don't have life. There's no sense of vitality. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no joy. There's no true sense of your soul being alive. And Jesus says, because I'm the light of the world, and whoever follows me, they will not walk in darkness. They will have the light, the light of life, life eternal. That's why Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's why Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He will live forever. Because Jesus Christ is the one who grants us life eternal. Because the prophecies were made in Isaiah 9, those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. We also see this, the hope of light. We see the hope of a king. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Verse 6, same chapter. Beautiful verses. Notice, for to us a child is born. Notice, Jesus will be fully man, child. Notice, to us a son is given. He'll be fully God, son, Notice the gift is not ultimately the child. The gift is the Son of God. The Son is given. And notice, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counsel, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wow, 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 wow. Notice verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will be unstoppable in his reign and sovereignty. His victory will be eternal. Notice, on the throne of David over his kingdom, there it is, to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This Messiah, he will reign forever. 
He will not be defeated. No one will get in his way. You're like, well, how can this happen? How can this happen? Look at the end of verse 7. God answered, he said, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God Almighty will do this. He will send his son in the hope of light and the hope of a king. That is amazing. Now listen, all the earthly kings up to this point and beyond failed. They all failed. Why? Because, ready? The best of men are men at best. Church, please, do not put your hope in men or women. Do not put people up on some pedestal so high. There's only a matter of time before they will let you down. Do not put your ultimate hope in a person other than Jesus Christ. It's only a matter of time before, again, because the very, even the very best of men are men at best. And they're sinful and they will sin, and they will let you down. Don't put your hope in your wife or your husband. Don't put your hope in your pastor or whatever. We are to be examples to one another, yes. But at the end of the day, man, you put someone to on a pedestal, listen, you, you are setting them up for utter failure. They cannot meet your expectations. It's impossible. They're not Christ. Set your hope. The only person you will ever look to fully who will be perfect will be Jesus Christ. He's the only person who will never leave you or forsake you. He will never let you down. It's impossible for him to be anything but faithful to you because he's God and we're not. Okay? Listen, in our day, do not put your hope in man. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Okay? Some of you in this room right now, you put two, some people in this room, you put them on too high a pedestal. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay? Don't expect me to be Jesus himself. That was not going to happen, man. I'm a sinner like everyone else. Okay? It's impossible. I will let you down and you will let me down. Jesus will never let us down. Okay? That's why he sent us his son. That's why he sent us the king of kings and the lord of lords. Because only one who can do that. Okay? The hope of light, the hope of a king, the hope of salvation. Turn to Isaiah chapter 49 now. Let's hear some pages turning and some phones lighting up. Isaiah 49, uh, verse 6. Let's go, let's go. Students of God's word, you can do this. You've changed a lot of channels this week. Let's turn some pages, all right? Isaiah 49, verse 6. Look at this. The second half of verse 6. I will make you as a light for the... Okay, so... Isaiah 49, verse 6, there's four servant songs in the second half of Isaiah. This is the second of the servant songs, the servant of the Lord, um, the Messiah, okay? In fact, just before we get to verse 6, I almost forgot, I want to show you this, okay? Because I just, I think this stuff is so neat, okay? Did you know that I, the book of Isaiah is like a miniature Bible? Okay, here's why. Isaiah has 66 chapters, the Bible has 66 books, Okay? Isaiah is divided into two main divisions, like completely concretely, it is so clear and so awesome. Uh, chapters 1 to 39, just like the Old Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament. Chapters 40 to 66, just like the New Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, okay? The first section, chapters 1 to 39, focus on judgment, like the Old Testament primarily. Chapters 40 to 66, focus on hope, just like the New Testament, the gospel, Jesus Christ. 
Did you know the second half of Isaiah is so beautifully Christological? I mean, the things that we're learning and seeing right now. You know, Isaiah 53 is in the middle section, again, of chapters 40 to 66, which is the gospel of the Old Testament. And of course, the book of Isaiah ends with the promise of the new heavens and the new earth, just like Revelation in the Bible. I mean, this is the reality. Isaiah is like a miniature Bible. This stuff fires me up. It's so cool. Not exactly in our message, but I hope you're encouraged. I am. Now back to our message. Let's go. All right? I love it. I hope you love it too. Now, back to verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 49, okay? Watch this. I will make you a light for the nations. Now, why is that so significant for us here today? Well, I wonder how many of us are non-Jewish today. The majority. I hope there are some beautiful Jewish people here among us right now. The vast majority of us are from the nations. Gentiles. Non-Jewish. Look at the promise here. God, God, God promises in so many places in the Old Testament. He makes this, this, this staggering prophecy that he's going to send his Messiah not just for the Jewish people but for the Gentiles as well okay loved ones 2700 years later and here we are as a fulfillment of this prophecy right now I mean how thankful are you like this prophecy is being made and because of that reality we can be here as Gentiles saved in the Lord Jesus Christ and alive and members of the family of God because this was made again when it was made I mean you got to be humbled by that and you got to be thankful for that okay in some ways you got to sit there and you got to be like why would God do that? I know. How is it that I would be one of God's children today based on this? Because notice what it says in the end of verse 6. See it there? It says, and that my salvation might reach to the end of the earth. Okay, this room right now is absolute proof and fulfillment of this. Think of the nations represented here, like in this room. It's really the ends of the earth right here in this room. That's so awesome. That's so beautiful. Okay? We're not worthy. God is so awesome. Look what he's done. And this prophecy made here, the hope of salvation will come, not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the ends of the earth. Talk about gratitude, right? Yeah, one person said amen. Man, come on now. We'll get better, we'll get better. Okay, ready? Hope of healing, hope of healing, hope of healing. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. This chapter needs no introduction, it shouldn't. The gospel of the Old Testament. Look at um, verse 5. We'll just look at this verse 5. This chapter is unbelievable. But he was pierced, the servant of the Lord. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And notice, and, and with his wounds we are healed. You know, I saw recently a video, and it blessed me a lot. Um, it was Messianic Jew video. And it is a video of um, a Jewish brother in Christ who is seeking to minister the gospel to his fellow Jewish br brothers and sisters. And what he does is, well, I found out and really realized, you know that Isaiah 53 is called the forbidden chapter in the Hebrew Bible? That in their Tanakh, Hebrew Bible, that this chapter, I'm not, I haven't verified if they actually have taken it out of their Bible, but certainly it is not read in the synagogues. And this man is pointing this out, and he goes up to the Jewish people on the street, and he's like, hey, do you know there's this 53rd chapter in Isaiah? And they're like, no, oh, I never, never heard of it before. And he's like, well, can, can I read it to you? And can you read it? And so they start reading it. It's all in Hebrew. It's really beautiful. And then you can watch them as they're digesting the truth of what's in their Bible. 
And as they're reading it and they start putting some of the pieces together again, but just of like what it means, and they're kind of saying it themselves, giving their own commentary. It's fascinating. It's just, it's just so awesome. And as they're even doing that, and you just see their own people, and just as they're, I got tears in my eyes, man, just rolling down my cheeks as you just say, you just realize how precious Jesus is, how beautiful. And he's like, at the end, he says, he asked me, he says, um, do you know anyone in history who might have fulfilled Isaiah 53? And most of them are just like, no, no. And he's like, what about Yeshua? And it's interesting that they've kind of been taught in many ways, just stay away from that. You don't even go near that thing, whatever. But the reality, some of them, as he began to explain the gospel to them, and he did it so beautifully. Like the way he did it was so gentle, so, but so truth-filled as well. It was just awesome. And he does it, and you see the kind of their minds racing at one point. And they're thinking, and just being, have, is there a chance we miss, missed our Messiah? Missed when all, all the promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They all find their yes in him. Every single thing in Isaiah 53 has found and fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was just, it was just astounding and so beautiful. And that's how powerful this becomes. You know, to look back and to see there is one man who ever lived, the Son of God who was able to fulfill again all these prophecies. Every single prophecy we see today is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that from the hope of healing. When in Isaiah 53, it's like the prophecy of sin will be paid for and forgiveness will be granted and healing will be offered. Astounding. Okay, just, just a couple more, okay? Um, hope of comfort. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Don't get lazy, don't get lazy. Isaiah 61, look at the prophecies made. We'll probably get here again next week a little bit in the present kingdom because what Jesus did in Luke chapter four, Jesus walks into the synagogue. Imagine being at church this day, okay? Jesus walks into the synagogue, pulls out the scroll of Isaiah, takes out Isaiah 61, reads the first three verses and sits down and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, okay? Man, just imagine, you're at church that day, you're like, uh, say what? Uh, excuse me, what, what? 700 years of prophecy, and Jesus says, he says, I'm the Messiah. That's what he says. He reads what? He reads this, verse one. The spirit of the Lord God has drenched me, covered me, anointed me. The Messiah will be saturated by the Holy Spirit of God. Why? To bring good news to the poor. You broken here right now? Are you, are you, broken, are you brokenhearted? Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Are you enslaved to sin right now? Jesus came to set the captives free, to give liberty to the captives and open the prison of those who are bound. Do you feel like you're in prison? Jesus came to break open your prison doors, to break your chains and set you free. Notice verse two. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's saying when the Messiah comes, he will dispense grace like it's never been dispensed before in love, in his death and his resurrection. Notice it says here, and the day of vengeance of our God. When Jesus read Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, he didn't read that line. Why? Because that's for a second coming. In his second coming, he will come to judge. His vengeance will be upon those who have rejected him. But notice here, you all for comfort all who mourn. There is no greater comfort than you've been given the comfort over sin and victory over death. There is no greater, you're sad right now, you're a little bit depressed, whatever it is, I'm telling you, there's no greater sadness than, than, than understanding you're going to hell and you're apart from Jesus Christ, but there's no greater comfort. There's no greater comfort than when you've been forgiven eternally. And when he comes and you recognize you're on his team, that's gonna be a good day. I want you to notice the three insteads in verse three, okay? To grant those who mourn in Zion, watch this, ready, ready? This is ultimately fulfilled in eternity, but in some ways, it's ours now. 
to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. This is the outworking of the gospel. We don't fear death because we're alive in Jesus Christ. We sing it as well because we belong to Jesus Christ. We have joy even if we are killed for our faith because we belong to Jesus Christ. Notice verse 3, that they may be called oaks. Isaiah loves his trees. They may be called oaks of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus' righteousness, not ours. Jesus gives us his righteousness when we believe in him. That the planting of the Lord he may be glorified. All glory goes to the Lord through his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the light of the world, the one who has come to bring ultimate comfort over our sin, okay? The prophecies of hope, hope of light, king, salvation, healing, comfort, and then finally this, the hope of new heavens and new earth. Isaiah 65, verse 17. Look at, look at Isaiah 65, verse 17. Incredible book this is, unbelievable, written by, only God can write this book. Only God. Verse 17, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Listen, this is the promise of a kingdom that will include, ready? Verse 19, no crying. Verse 20, no death. Verse 21, no oppression. Verse 25, no conflict. This is the prophecy of the perfected kingdom in some form or another. I want to show you the lyrics to Joy to the World. Do you know Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts, was not meant for Christmas? Sorry to burst your bubble a little bit. Some of you are mortified by that, all right? This was just written for the church, okay? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Yes, it's so good. But notice, look, look at this. This summarizes in, this, in these few lines this whole series in some ways. No more let sins and sorrows grow. Genesis 3. Nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. I love this line so much. Ready? The promise that the cursed will be reversed. The prophecy in Isaiah 65, 17 is the prophecy of the reverse of the curse. For as the curse is found, his blessings will flow. For as the curse is found... All, everything will be made new. All sin will be taken care of. All wrongs will be made right. All the sadness and grief will be put away. As far as the curse is found, a new creation, a new heavens, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, it comes. And it comes to redeem and restore all those who have put their hope and love and faith in Jesus Christ. So, the stump that was cut down because of man's sin from that stump will come a shoot, and the shoot will grow into a branch. And listen, the branch will accomplish what humanity could never accomplish because humans are sinful, but this branch will be God himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the living water, the bread of life, the door to heaven. Again, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Every single one of these prophecies, loved ones, find their yes in one person, Jesus Christ, and he's returning soon for his own. You know, you think of hope, or you think of all the hope, and you think of all these superhero movies, you think of all the sci-fi fantasy, Star Wars, A New Hope, and Star Wars, The Last Jedi, all, the, all these storylines of putting your hope in, oh, here comes the Savior, and coming up, and Captain Marvel, our last hope. 
They're stealing all these stories from this book, all right? At the end of the day, within every heart of humanity is a desire for a savior. His name is Jesus. You want a superhero? Jesus Christ, okay? He's gonna come right in the clouds one day so soon, and you're not, amen, amen. But I think, I think of all the movies we go watch to escape the reality of our sinful world for two hours and 35 minutes, right? And we sit there and we watch all these Marvel movies and all these adventures, all these things are happening. But sometime soon, the real superhero, that's all made up over here. The real superhero's coming on the clouds, man, and he's coming. It's not some Thanos guy that's going to have this battle. No, no. Jesus is going to speak, and everyone's decimated who doesn't belong to him. And everyone who is, he says the word, and they are with him forever. And it won't even be a contest. Like, it's going to be over in a second. And he's coming, and that's going to be real. And when he comes, you're not thinking about Iron Man, and you're not thinking about Luke Skywalker, and you're not thinking about the Lord of the Rings. You're thinking about Jesus. You're thinking about G because you're like, man, he's real. Here he comes. And do you belong? Do you belong to him? Or do you not belong to him? Are you, are you messing and wasting your life up with the, with the trivial things of this world? Or have you taken enough time to understand and believe that he is who he says he is? He's the king. He's the one that gives us life. He is grace. He is truth. He is love. He is life. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he appeals to us again today. Would you believe in me that I might love you and forgive you and wash you clean that you might be saved? Man, what a, what a deal he brings because he's a God of love and grace and he's a God of truth and God of justice. And th this is the one it was prophesied of. This, this is the one this book ultimately points to. Jesus Christ the Lord the Savior of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, you wrote in, in, in an incredible book. It is, it is not of man. Uh, it is of you. And it points to your son, Jesus. And I ask, Lord, you will cause us to love you more now. I pray we would not be filled with this information. You will cause us to have transformation. I pray there are people here today, for the first time ever, they say, Jesus is my Savior. I give my life to Jesus. Yes, Lord, save people right now. Pray you've already opened their eyes. The gospel has been stated in a hundred different ways today. I pray, Lord, they would be able to say, God, my hope's not in the world. The world, the world stinks. My hope is in Jesus. All my hope is in you. God, I just, I just ask that you would fill us with this hope to encourage us immensely and greatly as we sing this now and rejoice in who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name.